10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits. Culver is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. Coming up, we'll recap a good weekend for the A-State baseball team, able to win a series in Sunbelt Conference play for the first time this season. Also, the Red Wolves Open happening for the A-State track and field teams over the weekend. We'll talk about that and everything else that's happening in the world of A-State athletics. But first, we are joined by a very special guest from the A-State baseball team. Right now, he's the designated hitter mm-hmm. for the A-State baseball team. It's Kaysen Tollett. How you doing, Kaysen? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming in. You've had quite a wild ride, especially since you arrived at Arkansas State before last season. But take us back even further than that. How how'd you get into baseball to begin with? Well, it's really not a long story. It's the sport that I've always wanted to be a part of and play since a really young age. When I was about 9 or 10, that's when it kind of got pretty serious started traveling a bunch and you know I've always wanted to be a should be a baseball player it's the best game in the world what about uh catching when did that sort of when you start focusing on that I was a third baseman when I was eight and then my dad moved me behind the plate it was a really good move uh I love catching and it stinks that I can't do it anymore but you know it's probably for the best now your family do you have other athletes in your family my dad claims he was a really good slow pitch softball player in college, <laughs> uh, but sister was a basketball player. Mom ran track. Okay. Besides that, not really. Not not really. Well, you just said that the rest of your family was involved in in sports, so yeah. there are some athletes. It sounds like in your family. Now you went to high school at Little Rock Christian. Yes, sir. You actually played for a former A-State baseball player, a really good former okay. A-State baseball player in Brandon Eller. Talk about uh, your relationship with him. So Coach Eller came my senior year of high school, so I only got one year with him. But he was one of the better coaches that I've ever that I've ever had the opportunity to play for. Really motivating, and you can tell he knows a lot about the game. So he was really, really cool, and he just found ways to motivate our team, and I just really enjoyed playing for him. So I'm assuming because this is sort of the way baseball recruiting goes, that by the time Coach Eller shows up, I'm guessing you're committed to Arkansas already. Is that true? Like, what were you, about 12 when that happened? I committed my sophomore year. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, he jokes about that, but you see it as much in baseball as any other sport anymore because – these players are committing in the eighth and ninth but grade. I think so. we got rules changes coming. I think they just passed. Yeah, some. that that's good, right. Can't do it to your junior year. Yeah, it's, they made it later. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot more sense. It's better for the for the players too. So, because you had kids that were freshmen in, in high school, and they're not committed yet, and they're like, "What am I doing wrong?" It's not realistic. And you also like, and not that this is what we brought case yeah. to talk in, but and I think those rule changes did just get voted in where you can't commit a kid till their mm-hmm. junior year because you're just i understand all the recruiting is sort of that's why they're called prospects and you're sort of betting on the come but you really a lot of these programs going to they just they'll grab a ninth grader as not like a placeholder but they're just say hey you come be committed to us and if you turn into the player we think you're gonna then three years from now you'll sign but mm-hmm. 
if you don't, a lot of times, oops, yeah. the class got full, or let's get you in the JUCO. You see mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff happening. Yeah. That's where you see the business side. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes. You were ranked as the number one catcher in the state coming out of high school, but you get to Arkansas, and I guess that was the COVID season when you COVID. got there, right? COVID was my freshman year. Yes, sir. All right. So you played one game, right? That 2020 season, and you got injured. Is that correct? Yeah, I was battling a flexor tendon injury but one game pinch hit and then COVID happened a few weeks later and that was it from there you end up red shirting the following year in 2021 what was it that made you decide to to find a new home and why was it Arkansas State well Arkansas State was actually the first school to recruit me it was actually in eighth grade <laughs> here we go Noah Sanders who's now now a Little Rock, Little Rock. coach yes yeah. sir he was the the first coach to ever call me, and uh, he did a good job because we talked a lot when I was really young. And then, you know, Arkansas came along, and it was kind of a cool opportunity for me to be able to do that. But I always liked Arkansas State just because of how they sold the school to me when I was young and how they were still loyal to me when I decided to transfer. And, you know, I talked with Coach Eller, and I knew Coach Raffo pretty well, but kind of put me in contact with him, with Coach Borno. And the rest is history from there. So what's, I mean, again, the staff had recruited you, so it's not like you you needed a whole lot of endorsing. But at that point, you know, Coach Eller, he's not just going to tell you to go to Arkansas State no. if he didn't mean it because you're one of his guys at this point. So what did he tell you when you knew A-State was a place you were looking to transfer? He called me one night, and we kind of talked through the whole, like, situation. And, you know, he was truly just wanted me to go where I wanted to go and where I felt comfortable and – you know, we prayed about it, and it was the clear choice to me. It is something that we see so often anymore, and Brad and I have talked about it many times. Yes, you are recruiting these players coming out of high school, but at the same time, a lot of schools now, if they're smart, they're recruiting for maybe down the road when that player does decide to transfer. They try to get those relationships in place so when that time comes – They've already got that relationship established. You feel comfortable with them. Absolutely. I think it only took, you know, three or four calls from Coach Guarno and Coach Raffo to get me here because I like it here. And at the time, Arkansas State had a big need at the catcher position. And obviously, you were the top-ranked catcher in the state and your class coming out. So, I mean, it was it was a, a natural fit there for you to come in and, in everybody's view, spend three years behind the plate for the Red Wolves. Yeah, that was my plan. I talked to Liam Hicks quite a bit and I talked to him before I committed uh, to Arkansas State and he said it was a great place working with coach Corno every day really made him better and that's what I wanted so (laughs) you got here and you win the catcher job going into last season and you end up starting 17 games last year but you battled concussions and not just one how many concussions did you end up having last year Uh, last year I had three before even like the halfway point of the season started and then my sophomore year at Arkansas I had a minor car injury and got one there too so it was kind of a a thing that had been in the past and at that point in the season we couldn't really take any more risks for long-term damage so so, so you'd had you'd had one in a car accident and then you come here and right it's uh, the first midweek at Ole Miss and you get hit in the head right in the head what's that like it was very disappointing to me and very frustrating because obviously we're in Oxford at Swayze Stadium and 
you want to be on the field playing and competing with those guys who went on to win a national championship that year. And, you know, it was frustrating, but I thought after that I was going to come right, like it will be a, a week and then be able to come back. Now, remind us, how did you get the other concussions? You had two more after that. They so, were kind of freak duels, weren't they? Yeah. So Ole Miss got hit in the head, and then a few weeks later, take a ball off the face mask, yep. actually get knocked out on field. And then that was kind of the point where we were like, let's keep an eye on this. Yeah, well, let's not forget the one we're skipping. That's not – I don't think – that wasn't a concussion. Get back from getting hit in the head. And right – your first game back, is that right? Don't you get foul ball in the throat? Oh, yeah, that was uh, it was like sleeting outside against Simo uh, and for his first That's inning, right. take one off the throat and oh. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, so, it was a chain of events that were not. This fortunate. is all in the seventeen games that you played last year, and all this happened: three concussions, shot to the throat, obviously. The decision was made to shut it down. Mm-hmm. How hard was that to take? It was really tough on me because uh, all I wanted to do was be able to play baseball when I came here. And I feel like it had been forever since I'd actually been able to consistently play, you know, just be out there and have fun and play baseball. And it was really tough. I, I want to, before we get too far away, and yeah. not to belabor the point, but that, the last kind of two things that came I just got to get your perspective on. Because, I mean, you understand, like, you, you at this point, you'd played catcher most of your life. You understand getting beat up is an occupational hazard. But literally, your first game back from the Ole Miss concussion, yeah. she said, you take a foul tip and hit you in the throat. I mean, tell me what you're, like, experiencing in that moment. In that moment? Yeah. I'm just trying to breathe, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it was sleeting outside. It was freezing and taking off the throat. It's kind of hard to catch a breath, but... I mean, it was tough. Uh, it was really just like, why is this, like, what's happening? Like, Yeah, that was a fluke one. And when you said you, you come back and then later on you take the, the foul ball off the mask, which, again, I'm sure as a catcher it happened it, before. It was yeah, it just happened to get me in a just the perfect spot. where. And I can remember now, I forgot that. I mean, at one point, like, it, it seems like the game's going to go on, but the umpire puts his hand on your mm-hmm. shoulder because you're you're about to fall forward. You were – out of it kind of talk me through that scene i mean obviously i just i just got hit and then the next thing i know the umpire's got his hand on my my back and i mean i don't really like i just remember getting hit and that's pretty much it but Mm. you talked earlier about how you called brandon eller and you prayed and that helped in your decision making process to come to arkansas state obviously your faith is important to you do you have conversations with God at that point? Are you thinking, God, why why is this happening to me? Why, you know, after all this waiting, I get to Arkansas State and all these concussions keep happening. I can't get out on the field. What, why am I going through this? It was definitely conversations had, but, you know, in the end, it's just all about his plan. And sometimes our plans aren't in line with God's, but, you know, God's plan's always right. So you just got to trust it. Did you think of just shutting it all down at any point? I thought about it just for health reasons overall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something that I didn't feel like I was over with. Obviously, I didn't want it to be over. It was really tough. There was a lot of hard decisions to be made. Because obviously, concussions are such a kind of hot topic or just something that's front of everybody's mind right now. And you're dealing with those. So 
kind of talk us through the timetable again as to conversations as to whether you can keep going at all and then sort of how you settle on okay i'm going to keep playing but my catching days are done so you know we had lots and lots of doctor's appointments that we had to go to uh neurologists and you know i think everyone kind of had the same opinion and it was that we can go on with baseball but just what's best for me and my safety is really just taking a step back and just saying I'm not going to be not going to catch if I want to play right now. What does your family say during this process? I mean, did your parents want you to to keep playing baseball? Did they want you to keep chasing your dream or or did they encourage you to maybe step away? They were really just behind me. They definitely had safety concerns. I'm sure they wouldn't have been upset if I decided to just kind of stop overall, but you know, they stuck with me when I decided that I didn't want to be done and they've been behind me ever since and they've really been the key motivating factor for me to just keep going and and when would you say you decided for sure that you were going to keep playing do you know what happened to me this summer like right before school started well let's let's go there too let's hear it well so it was right before school and i just gotten cleared gotten everything about to start fall ball here and then go out it's just summer playing golf come back to my house and making dinner and then pass out unexpectedly and crack the back of my skull and then have like two brain bleeds in the back and that's when I kind of decided or we had to really like re-examine like what was going on because you know that was really scary about what happened and ended up getting transferred to Little Rock overnight and stayed in the hospital for a few days and you know this was all linked to the previous concussions I, they didn't figure out they said it was about dehydration but i really don't i mean they didn't they didn't find anything that linked them but it was just another thing that ended up happening prior to uh we'll say the last at this point oh 14 months your life before that how would you have uh, classified your luck have you do we say that you were if you had good luck prior to that i'd never really been hurt all the way through up through high school no, nothing really serious you know, battle arm injuries just like every other baseball player that has ever played, mm-hmm. but um, nothing like serious before that. But have you ever won any drawings or contests <laughs> or sweepstakes or anything <laughs> like that? Uh, not that I remember. Uh, well, I don't. I don't doubt it. Because <laughs> you notice, like Caleb Garner's here, right? The the baseball sports information yeah. contact. He drove separately. He wouldn't ride up here with Casey. Yeah, I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably that was a good business decision. <laughs> So you do come back. You decide that, I say you decide, I mean, you end up winning the job at first base. How did that come about? I'd always played a little bit of first base all the way through up through high school just because of the teams I was on, how much, much talent we had at multiple positions. So I was able to play first base in some games. And so I had a, a feel for the position. And since I couldn't catch anymore, not the greatest runner in the world, so I'm not going to play outfield. You know, we just decided on first, and it seemed like a fit at the beginning of the year. But. All right, it seemed like it. And you were the first baseman. You were in the starting lineup. Opening night, February 17th against UAPB. Fourth inning rolls around. You're coming up for the second time that night, and you injure your knee. Yeah, it was just kind of an awkward swing, and – like a little two-strike battle, and my cleat got stuck in the ground and ended up dislocating my 
patellar kneecap and then tearing my MPFL, which connects the kneecap, like what holds it in place. So just <laughs> look, this is a podcast and we can say some things that we can't normally say other places. I mean, what, what was going through your head at that point? Oh, it was uh, frustrating to say the least. Uh, I mean, are you thinking, are you kidding me? Is this really happening again? I mean, it's it's your second at bat of the season. I was speechless for a while. It was a different type of injury, though. So it was more, I feel like, motivating for me just to go ahead and get back into the rehab since the knee's Mm -hmm. different than, like, a head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can see knee, like, you can see it getting better and stronger. And, you know, the progress with concussion, it's not the same. So definitely more motivating. And But, yeah, it it was rough there for a second. It was not a good day, but... We won, so it was cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad you appreciate that point. Yeah. We still won the game, but you, you had to miss the next six weeks or so yeah. trying to rehab. Mm-hmm. And the knee's still not 100%, I know. Yeah, it's all wrapped up during the game. I don't know if you can tell, but there's a big old brace on it. I know You know, we, we talked about your faith, and you said you know our plans versus God plans and, and all those things, but as you spin this thing forward and – and if nothing else happens, and hopefully you get to play the rest of your career completely healthy, even if that happens from this point forward, what will you have learned about yourself, about life, about faith, about any of it over the last year and a half? It's been tough, but I think I learned that really just, just to trust God no matter what. Sometimes things just don't go your way, and it's all about how you can get back up and you know fight those things. And all you can control is how you respond to things, and that's just what I did. And it's kind of a... A daily like a daily challenge to really just progress but it's all about how you can respond and I think that'll help throughout the rest of my life just in anything you've come back as the designated hitter and look we're talking about all this bad stuff that's gone wrong you're playing really well right now yeah there's been I mean, some hitting, good in there you're hitting 395 <laughs> 417 in conference play what's going right for you at the plate right now my main goal was when I came back I wanted to have a good time and, you know, because this is the first time we really got to use our opening day lineup the whole season. And I think it kind of just kind of gels and we're all just trying to have fun out there. And, you know, we're putting up some runs on the board right now. Did you know, and, and I looked at this in Stoltz and I talked about it before the weekend, the, the team batting average for the season, what the team has hit over the course of the entire season. But in this stretch, since you've been back dh and that number's about 35 points higher, mm-hmm. the team batting average. And I know it's not just you yeah, being back, yeah. but kind of what all goes into that. I think over the past couple of weeks, we've picked up a little confidence. I think Daedric's starting to hit good again, mm-hmm. really good. You know, Hager's got a lot of pop. Will French gets on bases like every single time. Uh, Burris had a bunch of two-strike hits this weekend, a lot of hits in general. A bunch of guys are really starting to get comfortable and just starting to just play loose and with a lot of confidence, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing what the offense is able to do right now and fun to watch. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's a cliche, but hitting is contagious, isn't it? It's, it is. And there's a lot of guys I could talk about. I forgot to mention Cross, uh, yeah, Jumper. Yep. I mean, he's really good player. He's going to be really good. Talking about it's contagious. That was certainly on display Saturday. Yeah, that was fun. Um, so you guys scored 25 runs. I want to ask two things. First of all, I mean – can you get tired of scoring? Did they even get to the point where you guys were tired of hitting and scoring runs? I don't think we ever got tired of it. Uh, it was fun, and you know we were pretty frustrated after what happened Friday night, and 
you know, we just came out swinging and it was good. And we also had our guy on the mound, Kyler, and, you know, we felt confident and we were, we were ready to go that day. And all of that 25 runs started with you in the first inning. And I think on the TV broadcast, I'm just trying to get out the sentence that this guy's got plenty of pop to get it out of here anyway. And the wind was blowing that direction, which you don't see a lot. And I, I don't get that sentence out before you basically hit it over the light pole. Yeah. Talk me through that swing and what that felt like. Yeah, the guy was having trouble throwing strikes. Uh, I think he walked Blake and Will to start the game. And he threw me uh, the pitch before that. He threw me a fastball right down the middle and I uh, foul tipped it and then he through the same pitch and I didn't miss at that time. <laughs> well, when you get to the stadium, I mean, it's so rare when the wind is blowing out. As a hitter, do you think, oh, well, it's blowing out today. I better take advantage of this. I think that's something that you have to fight. Uh, if you go into the game thinking that, then it's probably not going to work out very well. But I think we've been spoiled this year with how the Tom's playing. I think it's playing a lot more towards the hitters. hitters it it has more this yeah. year than most any other year. Because it's been interesting because we've had, in just like this past weekend, there's been cool days without it just being ridiculously cold days. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be cool for the wind to be blowing out. And so you have gotten like a lot of these games kind of right in that sweet spot between mm -hmm. cool and cold when you get a, a hitter-friendly wind. Because when Ole Miss came to town, it was not a good day to hit at the time. And then I think it rained and got cool and then – it was blowing for the rest of the weekend. There were a lot of runs scored, a lot of home runs hit. I mean, even Saturday, I mean, all four ULM runs were four solo homers. Uh, so the ball was flying out of there. I want to ask you about catching because you've had to do it a lot of different ways in terms of the fact that I'm sure coming up, uh, you've had to deal with literally looking over and a coach calling the pitch from the dugout to probably sometimes you got to call it yourself to wearing the earpiece. Now everybody's got the wristband. Would you like being a catcher, just looking at the wristband to see what's coming? I think I would have. It takes a lot of, like, the extra thought out of the game, but at the same time, you still got to trust they'll read it right because you saw this weekend what happened with oh, you. Oh, <laughs> And uh, <laughs> that's not what you want to happen as a catcher. Yeah, well, let's that, tell the people what we're talking about. Well, uh, that was Friday night, and the ULM catcher took a 94-mile-an-hour fastball where well, you don't want to – Well, off the cup, let's just say. Yeah, off the cup. There was some miscommunication there, and I don't think that catcher was very happy with with his pitcher. No, I don't. I don't think he was, but I don't think he could say much after. <laughs> yeah, so he, whatever yeah. he said so was very a, high yeah. pitched. So it's a, a legit cross up, and he takes ninety four off the cup when he did clearly did not think that the pitch coming. Now Matt did not see about two innings later when they're warming up and the catcher throws down to second. He hit the pitcher. Now you're a catcher. Was that on purpose? I don't. I would never hit my pitcher intentionally uh, just because the catcher is supposed to work for the pitchers, but he might have let out a little frustration. Or <laughs> <laughs> right, He had a pretty good case to let out yeah, some Once he could breathe again, point. he was not very happy. He, I think, matter of fact, I think he scrapped the grid altogether and just started calling pitches, didn't he? I think he flashed signs yeah, the rest of the he inning. He might have been calling them from that point on. <laughs> you told us before we started uh, recording that you graduate here in the next couple of weeks I, I know you're a finance major but you want to go into coaching at some point right it's something that I've really thought about and that I have a passion for uh, I spent this last summer coaching for the Arkansas Sticks with coach Brewster and you know he's kind of opened my eyes to the coaching world and you know what could be but 
right now I'm still focused on playing and just seeing what happens with that. But it's definitely a possibility, I think. So now we'll get off into a philosophical conversation. Since you've dealt with it as a player, now you're coaching in a big, you know, in one of the more renowned travel ball programs in the state. Can I talk about the maybe the impact, positively or negatively, that all the travel balls had on kind of the role of just the high school baseball team, the high school baseball coach, in the whole process? I think baseball in Arkansas is just getting a lot more competitive in general, which I think improves everybody. A lot of times now, you see these kids, even at the level you rep, that they're committed to a college program before they've ever played a high school baseball game. And so I'm interested in kind of what role the high school baseball coach gets to play in, in all of this these days. There's still a lot of development that these coaches have uh, on their players. I think high school is when these kids really start to mature and grow into the player that they're going to be. And their high school coaches have a huge impact on just their development and you know how they view the game. I think that was a good thing that Coach Eller – taught us in high school was really just to just kind of take a step back and enjoy where you're at because you never know like what's going to happen and that really helped me view the game differently and it's good to see that you could go into finance you could go into coaching you could keep playing baseball possibly after you leave arkansas state after everything you've gone through the last couple of years you could probably also be a motivational speaker (laughs) yeah we'll see about that that. Kaysen, uh it's really cool seeing what you've overcome these last couple of years and and now to see you on the field and and doing well for the Red Thank Wolves you. is is really fun to watch. Heck yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you coming in. Again, that's Kaysen Tollett here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. And we've got more to come right after this. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. We'll continue with the baseball theme and look back at the past weekend now. The Red Wolves taking two out of three against ULM, a much-needed series win for the Red Wolves, their first conference series win. And uh, really one out away from a sweep in this yeah. series. Led 6-5 to five on Friday night with two outs in the top of the ninth, but ULM able to score three times to win it. And what's interesting about that game is that from the time they scored the run that tied it, it automatically, even though the game was tied – it already felt like you were behind because of the nature of the way they – I mean, you had hit, hit by pitch. Mm-hmm. Pinch runner comes in, still second on the first pitch he's in the game. Yeah. Strike three is in the dirt for the second out of the inning. He reads and gets to third and scores on a pass ball. So they scored the game time run without ever putting the ball in play. And then got in two more. But even, I mean, from like a momentum standpoint, even when it's – 6-6, six, six, it, it didn't feel like it because of the way they scored that run. Well, credit the Red Wolves for bouncing back the way they did, and they bounced back in a huge way on Saturday, a 25-4 to victory. And I thought it was cool. Every batter in the starting lineup had a hit, and 11 different Red Wolves scored in that game. 
uh, for any WWE fans out there, it was stop the match. You know, they, they've got a family territory. I mean, it, and really, like, and I know, it, look, it doesn't happen often, and, and anybody can end up on either side of one of those. But the real thing it probably shed the light on is that, you know, there are leagues, and the SEC kind of chief among them, that has switched to a run rule in every conference game. And I could see that coming, hopefully in the Sun Belt, because there was a bunch of garbage time in this game because A State scored and scored and scored. Matter of fact, the only ULM pitcher that put up a zero was the third baseman who pitched the eighth inning. Well, and even if you have a run rule after seven innings, it had been out oh, of hand gosh, long, long before that because 22 of the runs came in the first five innings yeah. of that game. Yeah, I mean, you had three run first, eight run second, five run fourth, five run fifth. I mean, it was just everybody was playing out the string in this one for an awful lot of that game. And then, I mean, look, it wasn't even like you were getting – it was because you were getting a bunch of free stuff. Had 20-some-odd hits. Uh, it just was these were everything – went right every ball off the bat found grass and they just kept scoring kyler carmack going six innings giving up just the one earned run his fourth quality start of the year the freshman now four and one on the season and then you had the rubber match on sunday trailed six to two going into the bottom of the seventh inning but the red wolves fight back scoring five times in the seventh three times in the eighth and they win 10 to seven to take the series and that's nice to see right there to win the series. I mean, and again, not labor or belabor kind of how close you were to a sweep. Because realistically, I'm sure even though you don't verbalize it a lot, both teams probably went into it thinking they needed to sweep the weekend. And But to come in and get that when you're trailing late, that's a game that, that uh, earlier in the year, you know, that team's not going to get that win. And it's also not just a, a series win, but it's also good to see it's the first Sunbelt Conference win that was not started by Kyler Carmack. That's true, and they need a lot more of those going forward. Now, they did move from 14th up to 12th in the Sunbelt standings. They're three games back of that all-important 10th spot with 12 conference games to go. So, need to keep it going these final four weekends of conference play. Now, the offense did have a huge weekend. They hit 360 in the series. Case in Tollett, four of 12, two home runs. He drove in seven runs. Daedric Kale goes six of 13 with a homer and six RBIs. How about Daedric, mm-hmm. the Marion native? Uh, last nine games, he's hitting 450. And then Alan Greer, a five for 11 performance over the weekend. And, and Blake Burris had a really nice weekend at the plate. He goes six for 14 with eight runs batted in. As a lineup, they're playing well right now. I mean, up and down, you know, cross jumpers, stringing together, good at bats. The guy we visited with, Case and Tollett, just seems to make a a big, big difference when he's in there, kind of the way it distributes good at bats throughout that lineup. And, you know, they got a tough couple of weeks coming up from conference play. You know, they kind of got two teams are going to deal with the next two weekends or in the top half of the conference and just try you know, and, and see if you can make a little ground there, stay connected, stay in the hunt for one of those spots for the last two weekends and, and get a chance to maybe to find your way to Montgomery. Elsewhere, men's golf is actually currently competing at the Sunbelt Championships in Madison, Mississippi. The tennis team falling in their final matches of the regular season to Southern Miss. Now they're getting ready for the conference tournament this week. Yep. And the track and field team 
hosting the Red Wolves Open over the weekend. Just a, a, a great weekend, <laughs> as usual, for the track and field teams. On Friday, Imar Palmasimo wins the men's hammer throw. In the process, sets a new facility record. Cameron Newton-Smith, former guest of the podcast, winning the women's long jump with a facility record, 20 feet, six and a half inches. That's the third longest jump in school history. Soleil Sampram winning the women's hammer throw. Bradley Gelmert winning the men's pole vault. Bella Coschetti, the top collegiate finisher in the women's pole vault. Former guest of the podcast, Miles Thomas winning the men's 200. John A. Cook winning the women's 200. Jacob Pyatt winning the men's 1500 on Friday. And then on Saturday, Cheyenne Melvin winning the women's 800 meters with a facility record time. Sophie Leathers winning the women's 5,000. Cash Kunkel, he was the top collegiate finisher in the men's 5,000. Willem Courtson winning the men's shot put. Evangeline Harris winning both the women's shot put and the discus. And Sydney Lane winning the women's high jump. Uh, a lot of other great finishes, but... It's not that long a podcast. We don't want to go that long. <laughs> This is what track and field does to us. So, so we so, yeah. only name the winners. Yeah, it's uh, so right now. Yeah, we're, we're only naming winners, and then they're going to just keep going to where, if you don't set a world, national, school, or facility record, we may just start not naming anything but those if we, at the rate they're going. We'll take another time out. Be back to wrap things up here on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Right after this, your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize you're home. Really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Busy week for... The baseball team, couple of in-state matchups in the midweek. Tuesday at 6 against Henderson State, which is a new addition to the schedule this year. Well, and it's historic as far as the, the flagship campus. Right. Being the first intrasystem competition. That's neat. And with what ASU Newport is doing now, who knows? They might have baseball in the coming years yeah no they have it at uh i think mountain home i think playing baseball yeah so a lot of these schools in the system have, have started sports you know, they've played basketball at asu mid-south for a while and uh, yet some of these other ones adding sports so exciting and yeah henderson state obviously you know four-year d2 been around forever but now is part of the arkansas state system so it'd be neat to kind of have the family in here and then, uh, that's right, they are family. So we'll welcome them Tuesday at 6, and then Wednesday at 6, it's a midweek contest at Little Rock, which is going to feel kind of strange going <laughs> in the midweek to Geary Hogan Field. But uh, a non-conference game against uh, the Red Wolves' longtime rivals. Uh, a glimpse of this during basketball season with the uh, non-conference games. I know the women went to Little Rock and, and the Little Rock men came here to Jonesboro, but uh, keeping it going in baseball as well, which is good to see. And their volleyball too. They came up, I think, uh, the first weekend of volleyball season when we played a you know, four-team event at home. Little Rock was in that field. So the, the most uh, for the most part, sports have done a good job of keeping that rivalry going. 
And then after the two midweek contests, A-State will uh, be at Southern Miss this weekend, a very good Southern Miss Mm -hmm. team that uh, was in the Super Regionals a season ago. Friday at 6, Saturday at 2, Sunday at 1, the start times. And again, it was good to get a series win this past weekend, but if the Red Wolves want to make the conference tournament, they really got to make a lot of noise over these final four weeks of the regular season. Track and field with three different meets this weekend. It's their final meets before the Sunbelt Championships. Uh, We'll have athletes at the Maroon and White Invite that's in Starkville, the Music City Challenge in Nashville, and also at the Drake Relays in Des Moines. The world-famous Drake Relays. That's right. And then uh, the tennis team, mentioned this earlier, uh, they'll be competing Wednesday at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament in Peachtree City, Georgia. So there you go. That's what's coming up this week. I know you had a little something that <laughs> you wanted to get off your chest. Yeah, so my uh, my family, parts of it, ended up, I guess, inadvertently being a, a part of what turned into, I don't know about the countries, but this part of the country's biggest story coming out of the weekend because my wife and daughter were part of that crowd in Oxford that got turned away when it my came goodness. time to hear Morgan Wallen play Sunday night. So five minutes before he was supposed to take the stage, the opening acts had already performed. And yes, we're, we're, yeah, at this point, they're three hours in. Yeah, five so, minutes before he's about to take the stage, he says he's lost his voice, or at least well, somebody yeah, he from his team say, said he lost his voice. And there, therein lies the rub, right, is that he didn't say anything. But that show started at 5.30 with three opening acts, including one of them was Hardy, who's going to do a show at First National Bank Arena here sometime down the line. But apparently he went full bore with like his full set, more than your typical opening act probably would. And then they come out and, I mean, they've got Morgan Wallen's set out. I mean, they come out and they get the stage ready for Morgan Wallen. And at somewhere around 10 till 9 for a show that started at 530, uh, some unknown guy walks out to a microphone and says, uh, I have an announcement to make. Uh, Morgan Wallen has lost his voice, and tonight's show is canceled. And the word is, if not just for my wife, but many people I've heard who are there, everybody just stood there. Nobody moved. And then all of a sudden, they put it up on the video board, this statement. Morgan has lost his voice. Tonight's show is canceled. So they thought it was a joke. I think they thought it was a joke because there's no way we're going to be in here three hours, and you're literally going to get his band stuff set up and then come out and say he's not coming. And so everybody like just stayed put, and the guy had to come out and say it again. Well, as I said, or uh, once again, we repeat something like, he's not coming. He has lost his voice, and this show is canceled. And I think by the second time, he then obviously made some believers out of people, and booze rained down, B-O-O-S, and probably B-O-O-Z-E <laughs> rained down at some level. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, people started making their way out of uh, – the stadium are not very happy. Yeah, you were texting me after this happened last night, and I just felt bad for your wife and daughter, number one, mm-hmm. that, that uh, were so excited about the show and were unable to see it. But at the same time, look, I went through a voice issue mm-hmm. last week and was unable to do a couple of events. Couldn't call game Tuesday, couldn't do the state awards Wednesday. That's something that... At the very latest, the morning of, I'm going to 
pass the word along that I'm not going to be able to do the game that yeah. night. In this case, all, he knows all these people have traveled great distances to be there. You know whether, and look, you've you've gone through it as well. When you lose your voice, it's just gone. Mm-hmm. You, you know you're not going to have it. You don't wait till five minutes to see if it's magically yeah. going to come back. So, I mean, kind of full disclosure, like I know who Morgan Wallen is. I know he's a big-time country singer. If he walked in this studio, I wouldn't go, oh, that's Morgan Wallen. I'd go, why is this guy coming up in here when we're doing this podcast? <laughs> so, uh, by and large, you know, I don't care. So, uh, But to be honest, I mean, I, so obviously my number one issue with Morgan Wallen is he made my daughter cry. But now she's 17, she, so this is not going to be the worst thing that ever happens to her in life. But right. she cried. Number two, she made my wife waste her birthday because mm-hmm. it was it was my daughter's birthday present, but the concert was on my wife's actual birthday, and she had to spend it doing that. But the real thing is, like, past all that, I mean, even if I'm just a complete outsider looking in, it's just like they chose to conduct business in the worst possible way even if everything they're saying is true and right there's plenty of theories out there that it's not but even if everything they said is true and he really was hoping against hope that he could get it back enough to go out there then you know who needs to come tell him the concert's canceled morgan Morgan wallen not some joe blow morgan wallen need to go out there and say it because the truth is if you really don't have a voice he's not one of the three tenors People weren't there because of his vocal stylings. <laughs> he could have stood around, shook his butt, did whatever he does, let the band play. And again, I put this on my social media. Garth Brooks with no voice would put on a concert because he knows he needs to let the band play. He needs to get out the first two words of a song and then just act shocked that everybody knows it. Garth Brooks <laughs> Which he still does. Full Every on, concert. Garth Brooks could full on put on just as good a show without a voice. Because if you're Morgan Wallen, you're playing a stadium and you're playing the same stadium two nights in a row, you're a pretty big deal with a pretty dedicated fan base. They would have gotten you through it. If you'd have come out and said, hey, guys, I've got very little to give you, but we're going to try whatever I got, you're getting it. We'll get through it together. They would have carried him through that show. Sure. The crowd would have. And if he had so little to even not go that route, you know what he could have gone? The dusty route. Yeah, pure country reference. Nobody would have cared. It wouldn't even have been a fake Dusty. It would have been the real Morgan Wallen out there. Put it on a track. They don't care. They're not there because you're a good singer. (laughs) So there just were a lot of – it's almost like they sought out to say, what's the absolute worst way from a PR standpoint we can do this? And they go, well, oh, this sounds – I think this is the worst. Let's do that. Let's give the perception that we brought 50,000, 60,000 people in here knowing that this show probably wasn't happening. And let them sit and buy beer and concessions and overpriced merch for three hours and then send them home. It's easy to have doubts that everything was on the up and up. Yeah, because that's the way they made it look. They tried to, or at least his team. I mean, I'm trying to. It it feels like they've tried to make it look like it's not on the up and up. I don't know how they could have done a worse job. That's about as bad as they could have handled it. Hey, we appreciate Case and Tollett coming by, hanging out with us. Really enjoyed yep. that visit and his uh, candidness during that interview. Uh, he's been through a lot the last couple of years, but certainly has a great attitude. Yeah, it. because, I mean, number one, most people would have quit, even if it's not for – even if it's with, without the whole concussion deal. Just not, not a lot of people are going to stick with it through that number of injuries and just seemingly, especially last year, just like the first game back from – 
the last thing, the next thing would happen. And he'd be out and he'd come back in the very next game back from that, another thing would happen. I mean, just absolutely snake bit. And uh, to see him kind of stick through it, and I don't care if he's DH or not, he makes a huge impact oh on this gosh. baseball team. It's a completely different offense with Case and Tyler in the lineup. So glad he's back, glad he's doing well, and hopefully that continues for a long time to come. Absolutely. Appreciate uh, Caleb Garner setting up that interview as well. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.